0: Welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast, a show dedicated to helping seven-figure-plus store owners build incredible businesses and amazing lives. I'm Andrew Darian, and today on the show, I'm going to be talking about something that does not get talked candidly a whole lot about, and that is alcohol, alcoholism, and entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is a pretty manic journey, even in the best of times. And you think about you know the the insanity of the last last month or two and that just compounds and it's funny how things work out i actually recorded this this podcast 5 months ago with my good friend paul churchill I'll talk about him in just a minute and for various reasons have not had a chance to air it until now but i think it's a really great time a very well great maybe is the wrong word a very fitting time to air it because alcoholism is always an issue uh, particularly or, and oftentimes with entrepreneurs and if you look at alcohol sales in the United States at least right now they are and I would guess worldwide they are significantly up because this is you know alcohol is just a way that people cope with anxiety and so i want to talk about that and 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 paul is uh, he's a good friend of mine we were in a mashmind group for years in montana and he he's a recovering alcoholic he speaks openly candidly very bravely about this and he runs a community and podcast called recoveryelevator.com where he helps people with their recovery from alcoholism. And so we talk about a lot of things today. We talk about his struggles, uh, his journey. We talk about if entrepreneurs are more susceptible to alcoholism. We talk about what he has seen effective in terms of people uh, combating that and recovering from that. And we also talk about it from if you know someone who is struggling with this a lot, like how do you support them? You know, how do you deal with alcohol, you know, when they're around? Do you drink? Do you not drink? Paul and I have an interesting discussion about that that probably doesn't follow exactly quite the script you would expect. So just, it's, you know, it's a big issue. It's an important issue, particularly so right now. And I thought this would be a great time to talk about this. So hope you enjoy it. Paul's a fantastic guy and has a lot to share and just commend him for, for yeah, you know, dedicating a lot of his time to such an important issue. So before we jump in, though, I want to give a big thank you to our two sponsors who make the show possible. First, to the team at Clavio, who helps you build relationships across any distance, delivering email marketing moments your customers will appreciate, remember, and share in both the good times and the bad. And since it's all driven by real-time e-commerce data. You can make sure every interaction feels more personal. So you can visit klaviyo.com slash ECF, that's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash ECF to get started Andor schedule a demo. And also a big thank you to e-commerce fuel capital. May have heard of it if you've been listening to the show for a while. I mean, we're about six weeks in now and seen a lot of really interesting companies. And so what do we do at ECF Capital? We invest in e-commerce companies under $20 million in sales to bring capital and world-class mentorship to their business or to your business so we've got over we've got a couple you know over a dozen incredible investors with over 100 years of of really you know top tier e-commerce experience to help you not with just capital but with you know really deep expertise help you grow your business so if that sounds interesting you want to learn more you can do that and start a conversation at capital.ecommercefuel.com all right let's go ahead and jump into my discussion with my good friend paul churchill Mr. Churchill, welcome to the podcast, sir.
1: Yeah, Mr. Udarian, thank you so much for having me. It's a
0: pleasure to be here with you, man. Yeah, this is going to be fun. We, kinda of so people know, so when we start ripping on each other and as men do when they tend to show affection, just, you know, emasculating each other and embarrassing each other, we, we, we go back quite, yeah, quite a while, ways back in, in Bozeman. Our history is been part of a, a business mastermind group in Bozeman for years with a group of, uh, of other great, great entrepreneurs, great guys. Yeah. How do we, did we just, we just met through a common friend and Bozeman have been kind of just sharing, sharing breakfast for what? Three, four years now, right? Well,
1: Andrew, um, I'm disappointed you remember the day or you, you, you forgot the day because <laughs> it, it was a Tuesday it was a spring day and it was a, uh, the meeting point was in old Chicago. Actually, I do know that. Don't recall if it was a Tuesday, but a guy named Pete Sven, uh, DIYpete.com, introduced us. I met you for the first time at lunch at an old Chicago in Bozeman. And then a couple of years passed that. I, ke- I kept hearing your name just as a guy who's doing cool, innovative stuff in Bozeman. Yeah. This idea of a breakfast mastermind came across uh, my plate, pun intended. And we met uh, once a month, every Wednesday morning, like the first Wednesday of the month at a breakfast spot. Yeah. And you set up the structure, Andrew, where Someone would present like every fourth time you'd present, you could talk for a couple of minutes on this topic, your feelings, thoughts, emotions, your struggles with businesses. And what a beautiful way to get to know each other on a friendship level, but also on the uh, the professional level as well. And so I just want to say thank you, Andrew, for taking that concept of the business mastermind, putting more structure to it. It was a great way for me to A, build the relationships, um, the foundation for me professionally and personally, but it was also cool to see in this mastermind. And I think you can agree with this, Andrew, that even though it was a business mastermind, that is the label of it, where we imagine we just get there and like hammer out taxes, accounting, like WordPress plugins, websites, like how to maximize efficiency and profits, et cetera, which we did. But most of the topics were geared around personal health and like personal development and, and what keeps us happy. And although the business environment that's that's fun. I enjoyed the conversations about what we do in our free time, what we're personally working on, our spirituality, perhaps, or uh, our friendships. Yeah, so I just want to say thank you, Andrew. For you made that you made Bozeman a better a better experience for me. So thank you.
0: Well, thanks, dude. It was uh, it's been it was a lot of fun doing it when I was in Bozeman, still trying to crash the uh, crash the party when I you know am back in town. And I the one the one regret I have about that was we were not able to get Dustin. Out of the group, I know he caused a lot of problems, and he's still there. And I really apologize about that. I, I hope you guys have better luck extricating him than I was.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just imagine meeting somewhere <laughs> at 702 a.m. He rolls in, and it's like a megaphone on level ten. I'm like, hey, dude, like, you know, just it's the morning time. Let's do the morning voice, and he's just a megaphone. So, love you,
0: Dustin. Uh, we <laughs> we love you, Dustin. Uh, I don't feel bad because he 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 uh, again. This is how this is how uh, this is how guys show their friends. <laughs> It's been a lot of fun and uh, getting to know you. And one of the the things, uh, of course, a huge part of your story, what you're doing, kind of part of your missional work right now, big part of your life, obviously an entrepreneur, but but also you have, you're a recovering alcoholic and that's part of Recovery Elevator, which is a community that you run to help people that are struggling with that. And I I wanted to have you on, Paul, partially because you're a great guy and I love talking to you, but partially because this is something that the issue of uh, you know alcoholism is something that is not talked about. Before we get into your story, how, how common is, you know, is alcoholism in our society and in entrepreneurship in general? It's, you know, you've, you've got a, a view into that world most people don't talk about or see, but how common is it? Is it more common than people would, would guess?
1: Andrew, addiction at this moment is the number one pressing epidemic that we are facing. And we currently hear about the opioid epidemic. And I don't want to downplay that for a second, because that's a real crisis. However, alcohol... Kills more people than every other drug combined each day, every month, every year. And in fact, alcohol is the number one, it's the most dangerous drug on the planet. And there's there's so much data to back that up. I just had a book called Alcohol is Shit come out that really goes into the science and, and talks about how dangerous alcohol is and and by the numbers about 25 million americans are struggling with an alcohol use disorder another 90 million americans are living with somebody or in direct contact this is a brother sibling or spouse that struggles with addiction and so it's not just the person that struggles with the addiction that's affected there's almost an equal um, effect that goes on the people that that aren't struggling with the addiction but are surrounded by people who are so this is the number one pressing epidemic of our time unfortunately i think things are going to get a little worse and this isn't necessarily a bad thing and hopefully we can comment on this later things might get worse before they get better but we're on the right track even though i just said addiction is increasing it's it's not necessarily a bad thing because you first have to recognize what's wrong and right now we are in a society there's a there's a there's a large wobble on the global scale right now we are a society in pain And addictions are no more than signposts of what's going on with the current society and on an individual level, what's going on with a specific person. And so never before in our moment of time have we had, had higher rates of addiction, anxiety, depression, stress, all those chronic issues and diseases. And these are simply representations of where we're at in a society and is manifesting itself in alcohol with so many, and partly because what we see on TV, the marketing budgets, we are taught to believe that as soon as we hit age 21 that all green lights ahead in fact i did a tedx talk titled i was duped by alcohol and i thought the same thing andrew i thought hey i'm 21 let's go let's do this and it wasn't necessarily the case and i was a normal drinker for for 7 years so i have that data behind me to know what it was like to to have a couple and stop hey i've got a got a work function next next day let me let me cut it cut it off after two drinks and and then it kind of changed on me and then I became physically addicted on it. I didn't really have the traditional route. I'm an entrepreneur, so none of us do. or are going down the entrepreneurial pathway. But after I graduated college, so right before I graduated college, I had a job lined up with a financial firm in Southern California. I wanted to barf when I thought about going to do an office job nine to five. And so I listened to that, that notion and I went to Spain where I studied abroad there uh, my junior year. And then I went back another summer and I started a pub crawl, which is we did a tour of the nightlife. That was a really fun side hustle. And the favorite bar on the pub crawl, which is the tour of the nightlife, which is the bar that I went back after I graduated college and I bought half of that bar. And so I moved in with my parents, saved in, uh, saved a lot of money, went to Spain after college and bought a bar. So I think I was age 23. Mm-hmm. What's that? And Paul sorry to interrupt here. So at this point, when you bought the bar, were you struggling
0: with with alcohol at that point, or was it was that not was that not a struggle at that at that point in your
1: life? Yeah, I love this question so much, Andrew, because if you were to ask me at that moment, age twenty two, is alcohol a problem? Hell no. And in fact, I said no to many therapists, physicians, and doctors. Partly, maybe I was lying, but it's also unconscious behavior. The addiction was there. I just wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware. I didn't know at the current level the addiction was. And this follows the trajectory for a lot of people who struggle with addiction. The addiction always is always one step ahead of us. Yeah, so I didn't know at that time. So I did have a drinking problem before I went to Spain. So looking, looking
0: back when you say you didn't know at the time, but looking back with a little bit of, of distance and, and reflection, you're able to say you were, what what was it that when you look back now that you're able to say, here were some of the problematic issues that I had that I didn't realize were problem problematic at the time? What, was, what did it look like? What was your drinking like when you, when you didn't think you had a problem, but you
1: did in retrospect? Great question. The first, the first factor was it was becoming harder to stop once I started. And I, m- I remember making the transition also from going from drinking from friends. You know, we have these lines in the sand and one of them for me was like, I'm never going to drink alone. And then I was age 21 working at the parking lot at the Orange County Fair. It was a rough day and I came home and drank a six pack of Michelob Ultra, broke that line in the sand, but it was becoming harder to stop. And there's a progression, right? And so previously two to three drinks, then three to four, then four to five, and then it got to a point where after I had like one or two, the chances of me stopping, it was tough. Like there was almost no amount of willpower around that could force me to shut it down. Despite what I had the next morning, early morning, despite what at work, despite um, everything in my external environment, I needed to continue moving forward, drinking alcohol. And what for you, was
0: it a... Was it a, a stress reliever? Was it so many times? I mean, you talked, you touched on this earlier that the levels of addiction you see in, at least in American society, Western society, have been going up or kind of systematic of a deeper problem. People are, are masking with that. And that's, you know, from the very little I've, I've seen or, or read about addiction, that seems to be a big problem. For you, what was it? What, what, were, what was the alcohol helping you, you know, cope with or, or deal with in your life?
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you come at it with that viewpoint is when I first started this journey, I thought it was about 80, 20, 80% genetics, 20% environmental. Now it's completely swapped, perhaps even a little bit more. And like I said, addiction is on the rise and evolutionary wise, we haven't had the time to, to change our genetics in a stance where more people have uh, the, the gene for addiction, which scientists have not found the gene for addiction because it doesn't exist. So looking back And this is always the case. Alcohol isn't the problem. Correction, alcohol is the problem. We're physically dependent on it. But after a detoxification process of anywhere from three to seven to 14 days, alcohol is outside of your system. Physically, you're not dependent on it. And then you're moving forward with alcohol, You're using it to mask inner turmoil, inner unease. And at the moment, I didn't know this, but I was using alcohol to almost bridge the heart and soul for internal connection. And I know many people um, who struggle with alcohol when that their first drink, they get this, wow. They get this internal glow. They say, wow, this is what's missing. I feel like I fit in. I feel like I belong. This is it. And an intense relationship is forged with this drug called ethanol, which has a couple additives added to it to make it palatable called alcohol. And then we embark on, we embark on life with a new best friend called alcohol until I had to say goodbye to alcohol. So, so it it actually gave you a sense of, for example, going back to our little my
0: group. When we sit down and have a great breakfast, and you know, I rip on Dustin, and Dustin's ripping on me, and we we share what's going on in our lives, and and we have you know ninety minutes of real connection with people we know that we care about. You leave that, and you you get a sense of like, there's something chemically that I feel like that happens in your brain or in your body where. You know, you're around good people who care about you in, in community. And that's that's really powerful and it's important and it's healthy. Is that the kind of feeling that that alcohol was giving you that you're talking about, or was it different?
1: A hundred percent, Andrew. And you just said the word connection that we had for 90 minutes in our mastermind. So there's a profound uh, TED Talks by Johan Hari titled The Opposite of Addiction is Connection. And can it be that simple? The answer is yes. So most anthropologists agree that there's no record of addiction pre-modern times. That sentence alone right there is profound, meaning that it's the disconnection, especially in this breakneck speed of industrialization that has dislocated people from their lands, from the peoples, the communities, the ties, that this is not how human beings are supposed to live. And a coping mechanism that works in the short term, which does a great job, is, is alcohol. And I can't fault myself, Andrew, for finding that connection internally with alcohol. I had a lonely childhood. I was one of the few non-Mormons in a school of over a thousand kids that were all Mormon in, in, in Salt Lake City. And it just, I, I had a lonely childhood, right? And that's, that is how I coped with that. And I can't beat myself up because it worked for a while. It, it bridged the gap of the heart and soul. And and that worked until it didn't work. And then I had to figure out new modalities, yeah. And so I, I kind of totally pulled us off on a little rabbit trail here, but but getting
0: back, you bought that bar, getting back to your story a little bit, you bought that bar in, it was it Granada?
1: Yeah. Granada, Spain. Okay. Yeah. Granada, Spain. You buy that bar in Granada. And what happens from then? So it was three years, so well, 34 months. It was the best and the worst time of my life. The best, <laughs> I'm like early twenties, I own a bar. I've got a shoebox <laughs> full of euros underneath my bed. Right. I'm, I'm renting cars and driving to Portugal, to Barcelona, to Madrid. I'm also playing on American football team, like tackle football. So I'm on this team. I'm playing like other teams across the country. Um, I'm flying to Amsterdam, to the Canary Islands, to other spots in Europe on the weekend or for a week. Like pretty fun times, right? The other half of it is I got addicted to alcohol and I was extremely lonely and how I mitigated that loneliness was through alcohol. Got to a point, Andrew, where I was blacking out five to seven nights per week. And I talk about my sleep routine and my book more in depth, but it got to the point where I was waking up at 6 a.m. after the alcohol was out of my system and I'd start chugging wine and beer just to go back, just to go back to bed till noon or one. And again, if you were to ask me at that time, do you have a problem with alcohol? I'd have been like, no way, not even close. Everybody drinks six drinks at six a.m., right? <laughs> so, so if you
0: and to get to the chemical part, you talked about kind of the detox. Is it is it true that like you build up the sense of a tolerance where you can? You, know, you hear about people who are driving with like a blood alcohol level of like 0.2 or something, which is just insane, or even higher. Do people get to a point where you drink so much that you're able to be an extremely high functioning? You know, alcoholic where you don't act drunk because your body's so used to it, but you have an insane amount of alcohol in your system and that, that's why sometimes it's so hard to detox because your body really just needs that to be
1: to be functioning it, it gets that becomes the new normal It's a new homeostasis just like you said. and the way you get there is through binge drinking. So studies show that the Mediterranean locations the countries they drink more than in Russia surprisingly, however, the rates of binge drinking, in, in Russia and those countries are much higher. So when we binge drink, um, there is a buildup of THIQs. We don't need to go there with the chemistry, but this creates the, the irreversible changes that when we start drinking, it makes it harder and harder to stop, which also builds up the tolerance. Yeah. And that's, that's how you see when we have a new normal, when alcohol is consistently in the system, that's when you hear stories of people getting DUIs at like, you know, like a 0.3 type stuff where a normal person with 0.3 would almost be in a coma. But their body's adjusted to that and they're able to have it in their system and able to function normally. You're in Granada,
0: you have this bar, great lifestyle, but you're also drinking way too much. For you, where did when did you kind of come to the to the realization that you had a problem and that you needed to to address that and change that? Like was that in Granada? Did you come back to the US? Where did that kind of occur?
1: Yeah, so you, right, year three, my body is showing some physical signs with ulcers, with anxiety, with depression, some aching spots, the back pain, the stomach area, the uh, the appetite. The body is starting to shut down. However, most entrepreneurs know we just have this willpower, this drive that is unrivaled, right? And it can almost get exhausting. So I came, I was, I would come back and recharge for a month. You know, I'd do a couple weeks with alcohol, do a month without alcohol. I'd build up, and I and then I went back for one last time. And so, then, sorry to interrupt, Paul. You said you would do a couple of weeks or a month without alcohol, or yeah. Without back alcohol? in America, I'd like come back and be like, oh, I got to take a break, and then I'd come oh, back. Okay. And then when the mind was clear, I'd devise like an elaborate plan of how I was going to go back to Spain and not drink and like work, a, focus on football, focus on the business, focus on the bar. And the last time I went back, I had ambience. And in a blackout, I took four ambience and slept for like almost two days straight. And that stuff, I mean, that's when your heart just stops. There's several people who have died. Heath Ledger is one of them who died mixing alcohol and Ambien. And I had sort of a wake up call. I, I knew the anxiety was so intense and I knew the I knew the messengers that my body were telling me. They weren't joking. And I could see clearly that I wasn't I wasn't convinced I was gonna come back alive. And so I listened to the body, I made perhaps the smartest decision business-wise I could have ever made, and I walked away. And I remember telling my, my my business partner, I was like, hey, if you sell it, great. I'm sorry to put you in this spot, but I have to leave. And talk about the ultimate Charlie Brown walk of shame on an airplane across the Atlantic Ocean. I always prided myself at being this successful entrepreneur. I walked away from it. Some, I told myself that I failed, but looking back, I, that was the best decision I could have ever made. Did you have friends, family that were, you know, talking
0: to you about this and like, Hey Paul, we love you, man. Like this is like, you know, intervention for, you know, you always see the interventions on TV where they sit people down and, and try to talk to them. And oftentimes it goes very poorly. Did you have, like, were people trying to talk to you about this in a loving way? And like, and if so, how did you react?
1: Yeah, my mom was huge for me there. I I did. Unfortunately, with addiction, we do most of this alone. So I kept most of the internal emotional baggage in there. Yeah, we we can't do this alone. And I came back, and I actually paid back my parents because they lent me some money, and I had a friend. I paid them back. I just wasn't. There was a lot of shame and guilt tied up with that that I that I had to deal with later. But absolutely, I, I had a lot of help through this process. Yeah, and were you? So I mean, if there's somebody's listening right now that has someone that they want
0: to maybe talk to about this? Like what, that's a scary thing, right? Like to, to, to bring that up with somebody is, you know, you do it because you love them, but it's still hard and scary. Any tips or advice for approaching someone who is probably struggling with that when you, to talk to them about that? Like what's the frame of mind they're in and what's the best way to talk to them about that in a way that, you know, they know you're, you're being loving and not judgmental and you're actually trying to help and hopefully be able to get through to them.
1: Great question. And I get this, I get asked this all the time. Hey, Paul, how do I help my husband or spouse or friend who's struggling with alcohol? And so it's a hard response because there's not much you can do. However, you can approach them from a loving stance of unconditional support and love, saying, Hey, I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. If you ever want to discuss this, if you ever want to explore this, I'm here to talk about it with you. Now they make it defensive. That's because you just threatened you're their best friend. Like I said, this relationship with alcohol has been formed. Um, It depends on where they are with this, with the process of of their drinking. And keep in mind that, I I mean, I had a major drinking problem, but only one person ever told me, hey, Paul, I think you drink too much. We're extremely good at hiding this stuff. So most likely you're, you're surrounded by dozens of people in your life that that are struggling with alcohol you just might necessarily you just might not know and this stance on an individual level on the micro level represents how we should be doing it on the macro level so currently we are incarcerating addiction out of people we are punishing addiction out of people it's been a 40 trillion dollar failure war on drugs it's a war on addiction on all levels that doesn't work in early 2000s Portugal took a dramatic shift on their, their view towards addiction and they legalized everything. And what they've seen is the exact opposite. What they thought was going to happen is a proliferation of addiction didn't happen. When you come at your citizens with loving, with a loving stance and kindness and say, Hey, you're more than welcome to shoot up in this facility, but we're also going to provide you with free treatment and support and love. What they're seeing is profound. And this works on the micro level as well. If you go up to a friend and say, Hey, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna love you anymore or I'm, I'm gonna leave you. Or if you don't quit, then I'm gonna do something that you're not gonna like. That never works. In fact, it exacerbates the problem. It's totally fine to set boundaries. I encourage that, but love has to be involved in this equation. So so for you going back to your story one more time what was it you
0: know people always talk about like the the metaphorical rock bottom that made them change things got so bad that they that they decided to change for you was it the fact that your body you mentioned your body you were kind of in some having you were noticing it taking a toll Physically on you was it? You also alluded to a little bit with your your business partner, kind of saying some stuff. Was it a combination of a lot of things, or was there like was it a very poignant moment, at a day or a week that it happened, or was it just for something in your brain switched and you said, "I got to make a change"?
1: Yeah, and after Spain, you'd think you know I did the geographical cure. You might think I would stop drinking, but I, I thought that my problems would stay in Spain. I continued drinking for another seven, six, seven years, and. It's accumulation of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. There, the, there's the, the promises made to the self that are repeatedly broken, which does a number on the psyche. It's, it's tiring. It's exhausting. And the conundrum with addiction is you, you got to give up. You got to surrender. And addiction, the beauty of it, it'll actually, it'll do that for you. And yeah, I used to, I'm an entrepreneur. I've had, had several, several businesses. And one of them was a wedding DJ business where we did like 150 weddings a summer. And it was the summer of September 1st, I think, of 2014. And I was, I was drinking, i got I'd gotten a DUI like three weeks before this wedding. I drove drunk to the wedding. I was DJing like the processional. I could barely see the songs on my computer. I mean, it had three songs. And I was like, oh shit. Like, I really hope this is the song that the bride and groom have selected to walk down the aisle to. I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's not. It's also their wedding day. I was also functional and I I nailed it. Um, But at the wedding, at cocktail hour, the gal or the guy who was walking around with the wine, I took like four glasses. I had like a full bottle of wine during cocktail hour. And I realized something, Andrew. I said, holy shit, this gig is up. There's not a chance in hell I'm going to finish this wedding. There's not a chance in hell I have any future ahead of me. And I did something that I don't usually do. And I asked for help. I called somebody who came and picked me up from Bozeman. The universe was also on board of this plan, Andrew. And I had another DJ who finished at a fundraiser event that ended at that same time, 20 minutes away. He came over, finished the wedding for me, drove down to Bozeman, made the call to my parents to say, Hey, I'm going to rehab. For some reason, treatment rehab was like the last straw. I had reached the last straw. They didn't pick the phone up when they called the next day. They're like, Hey, what's wrong? We had 33 missed calls from you, Paul. I'm thinking about going to treatment, but today something feels different. So at that moment of surrender, which surrender is just yielding to your next stage of evolution, your next stage in life and mine, obviously involved in not drinking. I had breached the gap or I had made the connection from the conscious mind to the unconscious mind with regards to my drinking. And once that happened, imaginative collaborative healing effort takes place. And that wasn't my last drink. I drank, I think, six days later at a camping trip, but I dumped it out. I had like four or five sips of a drink of a beer. And I knew if I finished that beer, nothing good would come. And I dumped it out and got in my car and drove home. It wasn't fun, but it's what I had to do. And and
0: so you've been been sober for five, about five-ish plus years now. Is, Is it a daily struggle? Like, is it every day? It's it's something you have or a craving or something that comes into your mind and it's something that you have to exert willpower over every day or does it kind of come and go?
1: This more than working with addiction, the last five years has been a beautiful dance with the mind and we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day and Andrew, most of them are wrong. So to answer the question, I do still get thoughts. The thing is I don't buy into them. I don't believe them. And they're no longer cravings. So sure, I got cravings the first six months, the first year. And m- all cravings are mislabeled unless you're actually in the detoxification window. After that, you're probably craving sugar. You're craving an old habit. You're craving an old way of life. You're craving an old neurological network of firing of the neurons in the brain that, that used to fire in a certain way. You're craving an old energetic movement inside the body in the in, in format of emotions, And so once you can kind of detach from that stuff and recognize what the cravings really are, then you see it at face value and it doesn't have much to do with the alcohol. So is it a daily struggle in regards to alcohol? Hell no. Thank God. And let me just tell you, listeners, if you are struggling with alcohol, you're going to get to you're going to reach a point where it's just not an issue. Going to parties and, and functions without alcohol is so much better, and no one gives a shit if you're drinking or not. I thought the planets were going to fall out of orbit, Andrew, when I told the first person that I don't longer drink. Guess what? I think I'm real special, but I'm not nearly as special as I think I am, and people don't really care if Paul Churchill drinks or not. Yeah, and this is something that, I mean,
0: you've always been super open with your story with with with, with everybody in, in our group, too, and like we were hanging out with just as friends, hanging out. I initially, I was really hesitant to have you know a drink around you because I didn't want to make. I didn't want to put undue print, you know, didn't want to make it harder on you than it otherwise could have been. But you almost like, I think you noticed one time I wasn't drinking and you like went and got me a beer and brought it over. So how is that maybe you can talk about that a little bit too. Like for people who want to be supportive of people who are are trying to remain sober, are you unique in that regard? Is that something where, um, where most people appreciate it, if you abstain, if they're struggling with it, how should people think about, you know, because drinking like for better or for worse, it's it's a pretty big part of our society, especially socially. Like how should people think about that when there's someone who they know has
1: struggled with alcohol that's it's going to be either at attendance or, or is like a, a good friend? Well, great question. And you're a nice guy. You have empathy, you have compassion for others, and that's just a trait you have. So that Phil, so thank you for doing that. I remember that. And I was like, Andrew, just have a drink, man, because um, it can actually backfire. <laughs> like I was on a family trip in Mexico where I did the same. I walk up to the bar, got three Coronas and a Sprite, came back. I'm like, here we go. Because then we think that like, oh, like they're making this for me. We overthink everything. So the best way to do this is just to ask with unconditional support or loving support, say, hey, I'm here to support you. If you want me to empty all the alcohol in the house or remove it, let me know. I can drink around you. I I cannot drink around you. It doesn't matter. Most likely they're gonna say, just be you. That's it. We don't want you to alter your evening or your night. Maybe for a couple of weeks, if it's a spouse, of course. And they're willing to do that. And keep in mind if if they're normal drinkers or they don't have problems with alcohol, so keep in mind, if they're normal drinkers, they don't have problems with alcohol, it's not a problem for them to not drink. And that's what I had difficulty grasping for a while there. What, you know, when you especially in let's say the first
0: three to three to four months or whatever that 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 period was when you poured out that last beer to when you, you know, committed to not not drinking and, and were able to successfully get through that period. I'm sure it's gotten, as you said, easier since then. But in that those early, you know, early times when you're making the transition, what like what's really what what helped you specifically be able to stay the course on that was it was it friends was it exercise was it throwing yourself into a project was it faith like what what was it that was what what was there, you know what, what helped you in that period the most
1: sure where most of us begin the uh, un-effing yourself process from alcohol we begin to begin it alone you know on that night at the wedding I realized I can't do this alone and so for the first several months. A- AA is not a big part of where I'm at right now but I fully jumped into that other other communities meditation yoga just surrounded myself with people and I was open about it another thing being an entrepreneur allowed me to put myself first there's this hike about 30 minutes away from my house and I did it almost daily for the first 30 days before the snow started to fall partly because there was no there's no bar up there at 10,000 feet it's no level. There's, there's, there's no, there's no temptations in that regard. And sometimes I didn't feel like hiking, but I would just drive up there, go like a quarter mile and just sit. Right. And sometimes Andrew, I'm not going to be essay. It sucked. It was terrible. Right. I'm thinking of what everybody else is doing in Bozeman, and yada, yada. And I'm up there just doing my best to stay away from alcohol. Life was loud. Things got turned up, but as my body reached a new homeostasis and the old self slowly started to go away it became easier. But the number one resource is community. When you say life was loud, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just noises, traffic, people, notifications, conversations. You're, you're just there. You're present. Either A, you're not hungover, but B, you're not, uh, you're not drunk or you're not intoxicated. And when we are under the influence, the connection isn't happening. Like Half the energy around you is just getting blocked. And so, yeah, life gets loud, And I hear this a lot for people getting sober and, and we misinterpret things when they happen is like, oh, here's another reason to drink. Like, oh, this is all happening against me. But in reality, all this stuff is happening for you. So your external environment, including your friends, family, nature, and the environment, they also want you to be the best version of you, which most likely doesn't include alcohol. So it's hard to see this, but your external environment is also going to align with your internal decision to quit drinking. It's going to put things in front of you on your plate, experiences, to help you build the circuits around why you drank in the first place. And I, and I hope I'm making sense with this. This It's going to help you to leave from the victim mentality to have more of an ownership role in your decision to, to leaving, leaving alcohol. What are your thoughts on and maybe what have you read about
0: alcoholism and entrepreneurship like in terms of how intertwined they are in terms of how many entrepreneurs if entrepreneurs struggle with this at a higher rate than the general population i have a theory that not all but a a good percentage of entrepreneurs are driven by things that they even if they don't admit it are are seated in trying to prove themselves or or make a point or or kind of measure up in, in ways that they don't feel like they have in the past. And that motivates them. You think about how stressful entrepreneurship can be at sometimes, And those, those seem like, you know, kind of unfortunately a, a pretty ripe grounds for alcoholism to potentially take hold. So have you, have you studied that much or read much about that? You work with a lot of uh, recovering alcoholics and in you're in your working community. Do you, do you find that you see a lot of entrepreneurs
1: more so than other, or have you read studies about this at all? I haven't come across specific studies, but I feel you nailed it with the environment that an entrepreneur can find themselves in, find themselves in. And like I said earlier, it's it's a small genetic component and most of its environment. And we're in such a fast-paced world with technology and the 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 methodology of you just move, you go, 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 no pain, no gain, put your nose to the grindstone, go, go, go. Yeah, we can create a high stress environment where inevitably we're going to take a drink and say, oh, this helped this, uh, this worked. And also this conversation takes us to dopamine. And so I feel that most entrepreneurs, their, their reward system, the dopamine center in their brain is wired slightly different that we experience pleasure differently, which shows, you know, when I made that first sell at a lemonade stand at age seven, I got a different feeling out of that, a different level of enjoyment than my brother, right? Kind of took the more corporate pathway. And so dopamine plays a big level with addiction. And I feel we have enhanced dopamine receptors as then entrepreneurs, we experience pleasure differently than the other population, shall we say. And you mentioned it's it's a ripe environment for addiction. And on the other hand, we also have the more opportunities to depart from our addiction than others, is and we can we have the leisure some of us do to schedule more time from ourselves. We can make our own schedules. We can take time off. I took a lot of time off, especially the first year. Mornings off, meditation, yoga. I'm doing a lot of retreats and things like that. So it can be difficult, you know, as the addiction ramps up. But being an entrepreneur can also be beneficial in in planning time for ourselves in the departure from alcohol. Well, before we, we wrap up, Paul, you've got a couple things going on. You mentioned your book. Can
0: you talk about recoveryelevator.com, your community and, and your book and your podcast briefly?
1: Yeah, I started a podcast to create out to create accountability for myself to stay sober. Didn't care who listened, but people eventually did listen. And after a couple of years, we started Cafe RE, which is the private membership community. We're up to about a thousand members with that, the private unsearchable Facebook groups. And with that, that has led to in-person meetups. I'm going to Minneapolis this weekend. And then we've got our sober travel trip to January 20th through the 31st in Thailand. And we're doing retreats. We're getting one scheduled in Costa Rica, one in Denver. These events are so much fun. And with that, I also wrote a book called Alcohol is Shit. That came out of my five-year alcohol-free date. And that's doing pretty well on Amazon and, 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 and Audible. It's so cool to get emails from listeners saying, hey, this book really helped. Uh, it, was a, it was a fun process. And there is another idea out there. I, I want to build or I want to open a retreat center. Most likely, it's going to be somewhere tropical. We're not dealing with snow. Yeah, where we can where we can quiet the mind and and really step step away from the addiction, and I think this will be open to people who don't struggle with addiction specifically, but I, I see that in the next three to five years is an in person retreat facility. Yeah, well, I, I I gotta commend you, man. I I think it's awesome
0: that you've, you're talking about this in a way that's public and you're candid about because uh, because again, like we've touched on, it's it's a big issue. Like you look at our world today and. Addiction issues, alcohol and otherwise are are on the rise. And yeah, man, thank you for talking about it. Thank you for helping everyone with it and being so open with with your journey and and you know the fact that it's a problem and and helping people overcome that.
1: Real quick, Andrew, I gotta say thank you for your support. I remember that breakfast. I remember your chats with me at we had a, we've had a couple of retreats for our mastermind. I remember you asking, hey Paul, are you really okay? Like is it okay if I drink with this? So that's what the solution looks like, listeners. It's guys like Andrew. Reaching out to guys like me and, and vice versa, in connecting in that format. So, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, of course, man. It's been fun getting to know
0: you and get to be be friends over the years. So, yeah, uh, of course, it's uh, it's been been a, been a great time hanging out with you and, and and learning about your story. So, with with that, before we wrap up, you have for doing a uh, a fast lightning round here to kind of put a cap on this. Absolutely, let's do it. What's your favorite non-alcoholic drink?
1: Oh, soda water with a splash of crayon and a lime, about 20% cranberry. What's your favorite piece of technology that you use in your business? I'm going to couple this, the favorite and the least favorite is both the phone. The phone, you can do everything on it, email, et cetera. Least favorite favorite piece of e-commerce tech is the phone. In fact, the greatest addiction of all time is going to be technology. We've already seen it. South Korea has the very first technology, South Korea, South Korea has the very first rehab facility for online gaming and departure from technology. Wow, that's crazy. It would be in South Korea. That makes sense. (laughs) What's the most effective marketing strategy you've seen in the last six months for your business? Gotcha. I'm seeing great results with Instagram and the publication of the book. However, there's this fifth dimension where I'm focusing on in meditations, throwing it out to the world, to the universe of what I'm seeking. And quantum science is showing what you're also seeking is seeking you. Does this make sense? So I just throw it out to the universe. And the more coherent the message gets, the better I get with this process. I'm finding new, new traffic methods showing up, new, new revenue streams showing up in ways that I could have never imagined. I mean, it's crazy. And I'm doubling down on this effort. Hardcore. Can you you give us an example?
0: If you would, what you say new traffic or new channels that you wouldn't have imagined, what would one of those be?
1: Yeah. And, and I, have been praying for, I say pray, but it's the same thing as connection. I've been setting it out there. I'm looking for guidance on where to go next and then I'll get an email the next day for a spot in Australia. Hey, we'd like for you to come talk um, at this location. Like, wow, well, wow, I've got members in Australia. I'll go there. And then something else will show up. Th- things are just showing up with, with, with such clarity where it's hard to say like, all right, that's not just a coincidence. And some of them are like, okay, that, that's a no brainer. I, I have to go down that route or I have to choose this. What's the last thing you apologized for? You, you know, I, I I do it often. We have a, I have a weekly staff meeting with the podcast here. And as I D de- as I dive into more meditations, I'm getting some sort of downloads and I'll show up and be like, Hey guys, I got it wrong. Like we're not going down this route anymore. This is what we're doing. This whole movement, a recovery elevator, a depart, departing from addiction. We don't, I don't know what I'm doing, which is fine because I'm getting direction and support, but I'll come in on a Monday and be like, hey, sorry, guys, we're, we're going a different route. Saddle up. Let's do it.
0: What's <laughs> one of your life goals that's a decade plus in the future where you don't think you'll probably be able to hit it for another 10 years or so?
1: Yeah, as creativity comes back into my life, I'm learning how to make music electronically and I want to make meditation music and do the voiceovers. And then I want to perform those. I want, and then I want to perform the music live for mass meditations. We're talking 500,000, 10,000 people in large arenas. Why not go 100,000 people? Let's not stop there either. Where I'm my group or my band, I'm playing the meditation music live and we're doing group mass meditations. And then finally, what's the number one quality you
0: look for in people you voluntarily spend time with and/or become friends with at uh, you know this this point
1: in your life? Unconscious positivity and love, and so you have the surface level conversations. How you doing? Everything's great. Oh yeah, 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 perfect, peachy keen. But then the unconscious behavior shows out and uh, shows up, and that's how it really is. But somebody who at at the unconscious level comes at everything with a vibrational frequency of love. They do things not out of fear that something bad will happen, but out of just love that they love you. That's what I look for. And and the soul's doing a really good job of picking those people up. And Andrew, man, you're, you're one of them. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. If you're struggling with alcohol, if you know someone who
0: it is, send them on over to recoveryelevator.com to get some accountability, uh, the podcast or the book. We'll link up to all of those in the show notes. Paul, this has been fun, man. Thank you again for talking about this. And I'm looking forward to our next Breakfast in Bozeman.
1: Yeah, it's been a blast. Can't, Can't wait to hang out with you again soon, too.
0: That's going to do it for this week. Again, a big thank you to the team at Klaviyo for making the show possible. The best place to send highly segmented messages via email and SMS to your customers to make more money. You can learn more about them and get started at klaviyo.com forward slash ECF. And also brought to you by the e-commerce fuel private community, a vetted form and review directory of a thousand plus in the trenches, experienced store owners that you can connect with to help grow your business. If you want to learn more about that and apply for membership, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening. Work hard and adventure often and looking forward to seeing you again next Friday. This is
1: the ASY Radio Network Live from New York.